Morning. Thank you, Dylan. I learned a lot about that hymn that we sing every year and don't really know the background of. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for um, Jesus and what he means to us, not just this Christmas season, but all year round. In a sense, every day should be Christmas, a celebration of his virgin birth and sinless life and perfect atonement, his bodily resurrections, his ascension to your right hand, and his soon return. Thank you, Lord, that Christmas is just uh, another reminder of how great Jesus is and what he's going to do. Father, as we get into your word, baptize us with insight, with excitement, with the thrill of the gospel. Help it not to be the same old, same old. Help us not to settle for, settle for knowledge, but Holy Spirit, just breathe in us and through us as we listen to these amazing verses and study them. We love you, God, and uh, we give the rest of this time to you here at church. Uh, we give it to you, and we ask that you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, we're going to have the parents to take the kids to dinner. I can't tell you, Dylan, how many times I forgot to do that when I was pastoring. I'd get up there and the ladies were waving at me. And You know, speaking of kids and dismissing them to junior church, I don't know who enjoys Christmas more than kids. I mean, we all enjoy Christmas, but kids, they love Christmas for the presents and everything else that goes along with it. But um, uh, I heard about a young girl, little, little girl who came home from church and she was pretty pumped up when she ran up to her mom and said, Mommy, my teacher in Sunday school said that I drew the most unusual Christmas picture that, that she's ever seen. And the mother studied the picture for a while and agreed with the teacher. It was ra rather strange. And the mother, wanting to understand the artwork, but also not wanting to offend her daughter, asked very gently, well, this is great, but who are all these people riding on the back of the airplane? And the little girl said, well, that's the flight into Egypt. Oh, the mother said cautiously, well, who is this mean-looking man at the front of the plane? Oh, that's Pontius the pilot, the girl said. <laughs> I see, said the mother. And here you have Mary and Joseph and the baby, and as the mother studied the picture some more, she summoned up the courage to ask, but who is this large man sitting behind Mary? And the girl sighed, Mom, can't you tell? That's round John Virgin. She probably sang Silent Night and Round Yon Vir John Virgin, Mother and Child, and that's what was what she saw. Well, that's your dose of holiday humor for uh, my series. Probably won't try that again. But uh, even though this little girl was a little bit confused about Christmas and the Virgin Mary, um, 
I want to say just flat out at the beginning of the sermon that uh, a true understanding of the virgin birth of Christ is absolutely essential for a credible, joyful, meaningful Christmas. You can't have it without the Virgin Mary. You really can't. And the truth of it is, if Jesus hadn't been born of a virgin, he would have been just like anybody else. He wouldn't have been the God-man who went to the cross to die for our sins. And uh, we wouldn't have a legitimate savior to celebrate this Christmas without the virgin birth. We wouldn't have a legitimate atonement. If we didn't have a virgin birth to celebrate this Christmas, we wouldn't have a legitimate resurrection. We wouldn't have a legitimate ascension. We would not have a legitimate hope for Christ's return if there wasn't a virgin birth. You agree with me? Amen? So we need to understand what this means. Because here's my goal, because I'll be doing a three-week series on the virgin birth. I've preached on this before, but I want to add some things. My goal is to get you excited about Christmas, but not for maybe what you think I want you to get excited about. I mean, I want you to be happy about presents and, and uh, family gatherings, hopefully, big ones, and uh, Lots of good food and hopefully some really, really good Seahawk football. And, but that's not the reason I want you to be excited. I want you to be excited for all of the amazing, awesome, transforming blessings of what it meant that God was virgin born. Because it's really cool. And I hope that you just go into Christmas just jazzed for Jesus, okay? So the passage we're gonna look at as we go through this three-part series is in Luke chapter one, verses 26 through 35. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be, but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Well, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The title of the message today is the priority of the virgin birth. Why is the virgin birth a priority? Next week, the prophecy of the virgin birth, and finally, the power of the virgin birth three weeks from today. First of all, this morning, when we look at the priority of the virgin birth, I want us to think about the identity of the Virgin Mary. Who who birthed Jesus? It was someone called the Virgin Mary. Scripture, just giving you an overview here before we get back into the text, tells us that Mary was a poor, young, 15, 14-ish, girl slash Jewish woman, girl slash woman, a Jewish girl from a bad neighborhood. 
Did you know that Mary was born on the other side of the tracks? What's, where was Mary born? Nazareth. In fact, uh, if we had time, we'd go to the first chapter of John and um, Philip tells Nathaniel, hey, I think I found Jesus, the Messiah. And uh, Nathaniel says, well, where is he from? And, he, and, and Philip says, well, he's from Nazareth. And what does Philip say? Anything good come out of that backwater swamp town? That rat hole? The Messiah? Mary was born there. She was pregnant outside of marriage. Scandalous. Um, by the way, isn't it interesting how God always seems to use the underdog to accomplish great things? I mean, you think about the shepherds, they were thieves and drunks. You think about the wise men, they were actually astrologers. You think about the first missionaries, uh, uh, first male missionary was a formerly demon-possessed man who ran around graveyards, cutting himself and breaking chains, screaming at the top of his lungs, and scaring people half to death. <laughs> the first woman missionary was divorced five times and shacking up with the guy she was with. How about Mary Magdalene discovering the empty tomb? A legend or tradition says she was a prostitute who was, had been filled with seven demons that Jesus delivered. How about the disciples, uneducated fishermen who had never once been to an evangelism seminar but changed the world? You know, if, if you think, you know, I don't preach and I'm not a missionary, and I'm kind of a nothing, get over yourself, will ya? Because God can use all of us in special ways if we let him. Amen? Amen. Well, Mary is described very positively in Scripture, just to give you some overviews here. She was a woman with a submissive heart. I've got Scriptures here, but we don't have time to go through them all, but... She was a woman with a submissive servant's heart. She was full of faith. Um, she was highly favored by the Lord, it says here in verse 28. That, by the way, highly favored means filled with much grace. Uh, she was a woman devoted to prayer, you say. Well, how do you get that? Well, Mary's was, if you go to Acts chapter 1, verse 14, you see that Mary was right in the middle of the first prayer meetings of the early church. She was a woman who found her joy in God. In chapter 1 here, verse 47, she says, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She was a woman of purity. She was filled with thanksgiving to God. Overall, the Bible tells us that Mary was theologically astute. She knew the Old Testament. Okay, just read verse 46 following sometime. She knew the Old Testament. She was highly intelligent highly discerning. Again, she knew God, she knew the Old Testament. She was a woman of character. But most importantly, we see that twice, or actually three times in the passage that I read, she's called a virgin. Verse 26 through 28 twice, and then in verse 34, she refers to herself as a virgin. The Greek word for virgin here is parthenos and can only be translated as virgin that is a woman who has never had sex with a man. That's her identity. Let's go to the second point here. Let's look at the attack on the virgin birth. We need to do that. Now, first of all, I want to say this. Through the centuries, true Christians have 
uh, acknowledge that, that the virgin birth is true and it's real. It's one of the pillars of the Christian faith throughout the centuries. The creeds and the major historic s- statements of faith recognize the virgin birth. Let me just go over that quickly. The Apostles' Creed says, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. The Nicene Creed says, who for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was, and was made man. Luther's small catechism says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So the great pillar of true Orthodox Christianity is that uh, Jesus was virgin born from Mary. But from the very beginning, even during Jesus' own life, until today, um, and until Jesus returns, the virgin birth has been attacked relentlessly. It's a satanic attack that moves through skeptics and unbelievers who masquerade as scholars and scientists and philosophers and people who know the real truth. Okay? Again, from Jesus' birth until today, the virgin birth has been denied, disbelieved, derided, desecrated. It has been described by these kinds of people as nothing but a childish myth, a cruel hoax, and a non- uh, essential legend. Let's look at it, just quickly. In John chapter 6, the Jewish leader said to Jesus, how can you claim that you came from heaven when we know your mother and father? In John 7, we're told that some of the residents of Jerusalem rejected Jesus' claim to be Messiah, and they said, quote, we know where you came from, but whenever the Messiah comes, no one will know where he came from. And then the worst one in the Bible is John chapter 8, verse 41. Jesus has a run-in with the Pharisees, the leading, some of the leading Pharisees, and they said, now listen to this closely. Listen to this. They said to Jesus, we were not born of fornication. We have one Father, God. That phrase, we were not born of fornication, is a not-so-subtle jab at Jesus. They were twisting the whole point of his miraculous birth to make him an illegitimate child. And I have spoken to Jewish people, one rabbi in particular, who said that exact same t- thing to me when he th- found out I was a Jewish convert to Christ. Only he used a word that starts with B. You know what that is? You know what I'm talking about? Yes or no? Goes up to the 8th century. A cult, an anti, extreme anti-Christian cult in the 8th century, popularized the teaching that after Mary married Joseph, she unwittingly conceived a child by a neighbor who came in the dark of night and had sex with her. She assumed the man was Joseph, and because she never saw his face in the dark, she never knew the difference. I would also say she never knew Joseph very well either. According to the legend, Joseph knew he was not the father, so he left Mary after she delivered a son, Of course, it has no basis in historical fact, but it's just the idea of the voracious attempt to deny the virgin birth of Christ. Let's look at some of the, uh, some American leaders and some modern scholars and their perspective on the virgin birth and how they attack it. Thomas Jefferson, who was a genius in many ways, but 
This is what he said about the virgin birth. The day will come when the mystical generation, that is conception, of Jesus by the supreme being as his father in the womb of a virgin will be classified as a fable. In the early 20th century, uh, a, a highly intellectual but non-Christian popular spokesman of the liberal point of view f- uh, of Christianity, Harry Emerson, Emerson Fosdick, who pastored the Riverside Church in New York City, and these were popular guys in their day. He said this about the virgin birth. Of course I do not believe in the virgin birth. I do not know of any intelligent minister who does. Must be a lot of unintelligent ministers out there, I guess. I don't know. In his book, The Quest of Jesus, W. Barnes Tatum, a professor at Greensboro College in North Carolina, called the virgin birth theological fiction. Hans Kuhn, a renowned Catholic heretic, said this, although the virgin birth cannot be understood as a historical biological event, it can be regarded as meaningful symbol for at least now. And then uh, the guy with my most favorite name, theologian Robert Funk, the founder of the Funkadelics, no, the founder and leader, the founder and leader of the notorious Jesus Seminar wrote these words about the virgin birth. The virgin birth of Jesus is an insult to modern intelligence and should be abandoned. In addition, it is a pernicious doctrine that denigrates women. You getting the idea that all through history people wanted to run down the virgin birth? Let me, a couple more and then we'll get into our third and most important point this morning. Hugh Schoenfield, the author of The Passover Plot. Have you heard of that book? You have not. Interesting. Very popular book in the 60s. My parents had a copy of that book in our home. Fortunately, I was too young, you know, to read and understand, and I'm glad I never did. But Hugh Schoenfield uh, postulated that Jesus was the natural son of Joseph and Mary. Schoenfield viewed Jesus as nothing but a master conspirator who thought he could be the Messiah and purposely tried to fulfill messianic prophecies. Schoenfeld wrote, there was nothing peculiar about the virgin birth of Jesus, about the birth of Jesus. He was not God incarnate and no virgin mother bore him. The church in its ancient zeal fathered a myth and became bound to it as dogma. I mean, I got a whole bunch of other ones here that just defy historical fact. But because people didn't want to, and don't want to acknowledge Jesus as virgin born, they just regarded it as a myth. One more here, I think this is interesting. John Shelby Spong. And you don't know some of these names, but these guys were really, really popular in their day. He was the Episcopal Bishop of Newark, New Jersey. Very influential from the pulpit, liberal theologian. Here's what he had to say about the virgin birth. In time, the virgin birth account will join Adam and Eve as clearly recognized mythological elements in our faith tradition whose purpose was not to describe a literal event but to capture the transcendent dimensions of God in the earthbound words and concepts of first century human beings. In other words, the virgin birth, like the story of Adam and Eve, is just a myth. 
And, you know, the sad thing about all this, guys, is that a lot of it came out of the pulpit. I mean, there's a lot of this that comes right from the pulpit, not just atheists and agnostics, skeptics. Okay, but the Word of God, which is our foundation, amen? Can we say amen during the COVID crisis? All right, then I want to hear it, okay? I'll give you another chance here in a few minutes, okay? The Word of God is crystal clear. And we stand on the inerrant, inspired, infallible, Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. And it's clear, Jesus was born of a virgin. I'll let you know, okay? Because <laughs> if it's just sporadic, it's really depressing, all right? Because if Jesus wasn't born like they say, Houston, we've got a problem. All right? And that brings us to our third point here this morning. The absolute necessity of the virgin birth. Absolute necessity. Do not go out of here this morning. For those of you that are online, where are they looking at me from? Over there? Well, anyway, wherever you are, I feel like this romper room, and I see Ryan and Julie and Cindy. Some of you don't know. Who knows what romper room is? Thank goodness. Anybody under 50 just went, all right. Anyway, wherever you are online, God bless you. Think about it. Of the billions of human beings who have been born and lived throughout history, only one person was, was ever or ever will be virgin born, and that is God in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. <laughs> all right. In all the interims I've been in, I've had to teach them to say amen. And I don't have to teach you because you do it really well. Verse 35, back in our text. Know what it says. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Okay? The virgin birth means that Jesus, the eternally preexistent Son of God, the uncreated creator, and the Lord of the universe, willingly left heaven, sent by the Father, and was spontaneously generated in the womb of the Virgin Mary by God the Holy Spirit. And I want to just blow your mind with something, okay? Because it blew my mind this week. What was that like? Here you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in unadulterated, unlimited, unhindered, unbelievable, eternal fellowship with each other. Was there a countdown? Like the space shuttle? Kinda. Jesus was there in all of his pre-incarnate glory. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. He's out of heaven and he is now an embryo in the womb of a virgin Jewish girl. What was heaven like at that moment? We can only surmise in our minds what it was like. And the reason is clear why there's so much opposition to the virgin birth. Okay? Why Satan wants people to doubt it or outright disbelieve it. Because the virgin birth of Christ is essential to all things truly Christian. 
Christmas is a joke without the virgin birth. It is a kitschy Santa Claus and Mrs. Santa Claus set of salt and pepper shakers. Although I really would like a pair of those. Because I like kitschy stuff. It's just stuff. And that's why Satan wants to deny the virgin birth. John MacArthur says, if Christ at his conception proved to be no different than the rest of sinful humanity born into this world with two human parents as natural and sinful as the rest of the human race, then all his claims from then on are bogus. You catching this, guys? Professor J. Gresham Macon says, to tamper with the miraculous in the birth of Christ always leads to a diminishing of the supernatural in Christ and all his life and work. Okay, let me give you a, a simple illustration. I've used this in different contexts, but it works for me. You're getting ready for church. Guys, you're buttoning up your shirt or button, however you go down or up, and women, you know, whether it's a dress or a blouse, whatever. And you miss button your shirt. You ever do that, guys? Come on. Four guys have done that? I've done it all. I, do it, I did it this morning. No, I didn't. But if you get that first button wrong, what happens? Your shirt looks like this. And then you got to rebutton. The virgin birth is the first button. And if you don't button that in the right place, then the rest is a joke. It's off kilter. Okay? That's why Satan wants people to deny and discredit and disbelieve and doubt the virgin birth so that Christ is reduced to the level of an ordinary person tainted by sin and the claims of Christianity hold no water. It's a farce. It's just another moral system. Nothing supernatural about it. Satan hates the doctrine of the virgin birth. And he tries to get people to undermine it, or undermine it through people, I should say, because it points to the perfect combination of a fully perfect God and a fully perfect man in Jesus. In short, Satan wants to ruin Jesus' resume. And if he can show or persuade people that Jesus and the word of God is not who it says he is and that Jesus didn't enter into the world this way, then he's accomplished his mission. And the Christmas story is a fraud. Well, let's get more specific here. Let's get specific as to why the virgin birth is so necessary. We'll go into more detail of this in the third message, the power of the virgin birth, but let's talk about this. Only a virgin birth can guarantee a perfect conception. All right? This stuff is important that I'm going to hit now. Okay? How am I doing on time here? Oh, got an hour. Great. Uh, <laughs> only virgin birth can guarantee a perfect conception. If Jesus had been born of a human mother and father, he, listen, this is important, he would have been sinfully born like every one of us who have acquired a sinful nature passed down to us by our original parents via the man's seed. Ephesians chapter 2 says, we human beings are all uh, by nature objects of what? Is it up there? Wrath. We're all by nature objects of wrath. 
Well, Jesus can't do his messianic work if he's an object of wrath. So he had to be virgin born. And what did he do? By being virgin born, he bypassed the sinful line of Adam. I don't know about you, but I'm in a great time this morning. Because this just gets my mind set for Christmas. And if it has a perfect conception, that guarantees perfect blood. Only blood untainted by Adam's fallen race is sufficient for Christ to remain perfectly God. Otherwise, if Jesus' blood had been received through Joseph, it would not have been perfect. But if the Virgin Mary guarantees perfect conception, then it guarantees perfect blood. And if that guarantees perfect blood, it guarantees Jesus' perfect death. A perfect atoning death on the cross for all our sins and the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. Okay? I used to know this by heart. Let's see if I can do it by heart. Brothers, I write this to you that you do not sin. But if anyone does sin, he is one who will go to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. How'd I do? All right? Thank you. But I think that's funny. Say, funny, that's, that's the atonement of Jesus. I think it's kind of cute. L- listen to what he says. I'm writing to you that you may not sin. But if just someone happens to sin, you think? Once or twice a year, maybe? I go by the minute-by-minute basis. I don't know about you. But if we have perfect conception, we have perfect blood. And if we have perfect blood, we have perfect atonement. And perfect atonement means that all our sins, past, present, and future, are gone. And we're free from sin and guilt in Christ because of the virgin birth. If not, the communion that we're about to take here in a few minutes is an absolute joke. But we'll get to that. Peter Lewis points out that by means of the virgin birth, Christ enters the world guiltless of the sin of Adam. Because he is born of Mary, he's truly human. Because he is conceived by the Holy Spirit, he's free from inherited sin handed down from Adam. Thus he is fully able to stand in our place to take our punishment. He could pay for our sins precisely because he had no guilt or sin or shame of his own. That comes from the virgin birth. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin. Oh boy, I'm quoting my own version. I better. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If Jesus were born of natural parentage, a biological father and a biological mother, then the support for his deity would be undermined. In addition, Jesus' divine nature and human nature are important because of how they affect the doctrine of the atonement. Jesus is human so that he could die for people. He is divine and virgin-born so that his sacrifice would be divine of divine value and sufficient to atone for the sins of the people. Wow. And then finally, if the virgin birth guarantees Jesus' perfect conception, perfect blood, perfect atoning death, that gives us the certainty of a perfect salvation. 
You may have you ever have you ever just gotten tired of sinning? Whew, it's quiet in here. Who's going to admit that publicly anyway? I will. I get tired of sinning. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And sometimes I think I've just gone too far. Man, I've failed you so many times, God. I've come up short as a Christian, and Satan's right there saying, Yeah, not again. You again? Same old, same old? But because of the virgin birth of Christ, that gives us perfect conception, blood, atoning death. We have a perfect salvation. Our salvation, listen to this, <clears throat> the big fat 50 cent theological word that theologians use. Our salvation is perfectly efficacious. And that means it is, a completely, it is completely adequate to pardon all of our sin, past, present, and future. Pretty cool, huh? The sin that we'll commit today or tomorrow is already under the blood of the Lamb because of the virgin birth. You know, without the virgin birth, uh, you, if you start polluted and dirty, you stay polluted and dirty. There is no salvation for sin. Job said it. The first book of the Bible, chronologically, Job 14.4 says, Who can bring what is pure from the impure? You can't. It's got to start pure. And it did with the virgin birth. I love 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Why did Peter say it was so precious? Because through his righteousness is what gives us salvation. You may or may not be aware about water crises in the United States. 58 miles from where I lived as a child, grew up, is a town called Flint, Michigan. You ever hear of the Flint water crisis? 2014, I'm gonna make this short because time is fleeing, but 2014, Flint decided to save money and go to another water source. What they didn't realize is that water source was poisonous. And so they started giving the people of Flynn, a town of 95,000 people, city of 95,000 people, begin to be poisoned. Because at the source of their water was poison. And through a long period of denial and blame casting, they finally pinned down what was the problem and brought in outside help and purified the water, but it took a lot. You might even, if you're older, you might, back in 93, back in the dark ages, uh, there was another water, the worst in the United, history of the United States, uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, it was a, um, a water crisis uh, because of something called cryptosporidiosis. And it got in, they say it may have gotten in through Lake Michigan or some fecal material from some sewage, but it got into the water system where a city of 1.61 million, oh, almost 500,000 people were poisoned because the water system went bad. People had stomach cramps, fever, diarrhea, dehydration, deaths to those who were already Im immunocompromised. 
And they had to bring outside people to take care of the problem. According to the Bible, mankind was poisoned at his outset by sin. Okay? And the whole world, everyone that followed, was tainted, polluted, cursed, and poisoned by sin and death, physical and spiritual. Poisoned by sin and death from our original parents. But, and you can smile now, the blood of the virgin, I knew I couldn't tell if you did. But the blood of the, no, can you tell though that people do smile when you see them even with a mask on? Because their eyebrows kind of go up, you know. You can kind of tell. But the blood of the virgin born, perfect Lord Jesus sent from him and who came in from the outside was shed on the cross for our sins and was able to cleanse us from the poison of sin. And it's ours through repentance and faith. Romans 5, 12 and following says this, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and, sin, and death through sin, and then this way death came to all people because all sin And then down in verse 15, for if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, poison at the source. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the... Trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, Many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous to cure us of the poison of sin and guilt and eternal death in hell. And it says in verse 20, the law was brought in so that trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it started with the virgin birth of Christ. Have a merry Christmas, huh? That's what makes our Christmas merry. Okay. But without the virgin birth, none of that's true. Okay. Christmas is a farce without the virgin birth. And then... My final point before we get into a couple applications and we're out of here, okay? And I know I'm taking a long time, but I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Are you having any fun this morning? Okay. I think church should be fun in a sacred way. Sorry if that sounds sacrilegious. Okay. That's why the virgin birth is foundational. Finally, the virgin birth guarantees us the hope of perfect conception perfect atonement for sin, perfect salvation. It also guarantees us Christ's soon return and his rulership over the entire world. Are you looking forward to that? 
Finally, an honest politician, right? <laughs> Not really, but you know there's some honest ones, but Jesus will rule the world because he was virgin born. No one else is qualified to eternally rule the whole universe and the earth. I love what John Walvoord said. He's the former president of Dallas Theological Seminary. Just chew on this for a second. Jesus remained God in a human body. Humanly, through the lineage of David, he gains the right to rule the world. Golly. I'm tired of corrupt rulership. I can't wait till Jesus takes over, eh? And we're going to rule with him, the Bible says. Okay, let's apply this to our, to our, our lives today. How do we do that? Well, it has all, everything to do with power, love, and hope. I want you to think about something. If God can bring about the virgin birth for our sake, what can't or won't he do for us in our time of need? What takes more power, everybody? All of creation in one thought or the virgin birth? What takes more power? You're not answering, and I wouldn't either. Which is harder, to create the entire universe in one thought or to spontaneously place or generate the creator of the universe as an embryo into a virgin's womb without him losing one fraction of his deity as God? Which is harder? I say they're both. It takes a lot of power for both. Now, how does that apply to you today? Okay, here we go. I'm so excited to say what I'm about to say. No matter what circumstances, no matter what disappointments that you came in here with today, no matter what, no matter what battles you're fighting that nobody else knows about, and I'm talking to everybody online that's listening, it could be 12 people, it could be 212, I have no idea. But no matter what circumstances, no matter what people issues you're dealing with, no matter what job-related issues you're dealing with, no matter what your financial situation is or health needs are or challenges you are facing today, the truth and the miracle of the virgin birth, eternal God being spontaneously generated as a human embryo in a virgin and all the rest that followed, tell us that God has no limits on his power no limits on how much he cares and loves us and will do for us whatever we need to get through life, including COVID. Don't let COVID crush or conquer your Christmas. We have a God of infinite power that has a perfect, per, perfect purpose for everything. Okay, don't let COVID get too far into your head. Satan wants that to happen, to discourage us. But the virgin birth guarantees, not just that God loves us, but he's all-powerful and that he's good. It reminds us that we have a certain and eternal hope beyond this little speckle of life because we're clean in Christ. And no matter what, as, we as I close today, we can be filled with gratitude no matter what's happening in our world today. Why? Well, I'll just say what Paul said. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. 
The virgin-born Christ is the best gift we could ever hope for this Christmas because it guarantees us everything else. That God is all-powerful for our circumstances and situations. That he loves us for him to humble himself and come to this earth in this manner and die for our sins. And we have a future filled with hope that this life is just a blip on the radar screen. We have a certain hope. And you don't know what kind of witness you can be to your neighbors and other relatives that don't know Jesus who are absolutely flipping out over what's going on today. What, what's wrong with you? How come you're not biting your fingernails up to the knuckles? Be, well, let me tell you why. I have hope in Jesus Christ. Well, a young man in his first pastorate lived next door to an old, crusty curmudgeon and this guy wasn't a Christian, and, and the pastor decided to invite him to church the Sunday before Christmas. And to his surprise, the old man accepted the invitation. And after taking him home, the young pastor asked, well, what did you think of the sermon on the virgin birth? And the old man said, well, if you were dating a young lady, stayed pure, and then she told you she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, would you believe her? The young man said, no, but if I saw him grow up perfectly holy and completely sinless, heal the demonized, restore limbs, heal the deaf, heal the blind, heal the lepers, heal the lame, at will, walk on water, multiply loaves and fish by the thousands, raise the dead, speak with unrivaled authority, claim to be God, who came to atone for the sins of the world on a cross, die, then rise bodily from the dead three days later. I would believe that he was born of, a holy, of the Holy Spirit in a virgin's womb. And the truth is, he did. Take that out of here in your hip pocket. He did. I would ask those of you that know Jesus to just be happy today. Because no matter what happens, we have hope in the virgin-born Son of God. And if you don't know Jesus, if you don't truthfully, truthfully in the depth of your heart, know him and love him, and I don't know who's watching online, and I don't know half of you because... You know, you're new and I'm old and it just worked out that way. But it's no accident you're hearing this sermon. Christ was born into this world that way for you to provide you with eternal life now and forever, to rescue you from eternal death in hell forever. Jesus came to the earth this way. My challenge to you is make this the best Christmas ever by becoming a Christian if you're not. That involves repenting of your sin. Turning away from sin and to God. Sin and self, just, that's what repentance means. It means to turn away. To change your mind about who's in control of your life. Repent of your sin. Acknowledge it. And then believe that Jesus Christ was the virgin born son of God who rose from the dead for our sins and receive him as Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sins and nothing you give up will be in anything in comparison to what you receive. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are blown out of the water by the Bible and by the truth. In Jesus I think we're all going to say something at the same time out loud. We're going to say, 
We love you. On the count of three. One, two, three. We love you. Let's try it again. We love you. Okay, that is really, really bad. Okay. One more time on the count of three. Let's just say it to Jesus. We love you. One, two, three. We love you. We love you because you shed your blood for our sin. Thank you, Jesus. As we take the Lord's Supper, help us to just enter into that. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Okay. Just before we take the Lord's Supper, um, I just want to let you know this is the most important communion service for me in the whole year. Uh, And I didn't ask for it. God bless Dan Wilson for letting me have the privilege of preaching here for a few weeks, but... I, um, I like it because it gets my head on straight for what's about to happen three weeks from now, huh? Because there's going to be a lot of glitter, a lot of tinsel, and a lot of really loud commercials. But taking the Lord's Supper gets our minds on track for cr- the true meaning of Christmas. Amen? And so we're going to do that. As we take the elements, I'm just going to give you about a 30-second period of time right now to... Say thank you. Okay, just silence, say thank you, and then we'll take the elements and go. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Drink it. I've been asked to remind you this is the first Sunday of the month, so if you have something to give to the Sunshine Offering for those who are in need in our community and in our church, it would be great if you uh, would be able to do that. Thanks for being here, and bless your week. Find someone that you don't know and don't shake their hand, but give them an elbow bump or uh, good to see it. Encourage them before you get out the door. God bless you. Have a great week.